It is your Tuesday Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Glad to be with you for yet another day and another good show coming up. Lavelle E. Neal III from the Star Tribune, columnist, will join me here in just a little while, mostly talking twins, even though they are at the all-star break right now. They remain a team very much in uh, in in focus in the in the uh, in the news a little bit maybe in the uh, drawing the ire of a lot of us in the media and fans just from the way the uh, the first half or the the pre All Star break ended for them with the sweep at the hands of Baltimore really symbolic of kind of the up and down nature and the fact that they just could not get any offensive traction throughout the year and it's kind of funny too because I think they were angling towards some some positive vibes going into the break if they could have had a decent series against Baltimore because they had won five of six going into that series but then it just all falls apart the wheels come off they can't score the pitching betrays them all of a sudden a lot of questions being asked of this team and I brought a lot of those to the forefront with Lavelle we will get to those here in just a few minutes um Major news for the New York Times. Get to that at the end of the show as well. First, though, what did I miss? Anthony Edwards in Vegas last night in the uh, halftime, essentially, of the Timberwolves Summer League game. Uh, Timberwolves lost to the Jazz. The Summer Wolves lost to the Summer Jazz. Nobody really cares about the final score in Summer League, but uh, good, some good things on display for the Wolves. But the biggest one um, being kind of the uh, the, the, the nature of what happened at halftime with Anthony Edwards and the uh, extension um, press conference for his his five year contract? And I, I was just kind of struck by a couple of things from it, and just kind of thinking about it a little bit more. Um, you know, it wasn't a very long news conference. There wasn't a whole lot of uh, you know of drama to it at, at all. But just kind of thinking about this team, thinking about how the Wolves maybe not exactly in this setting but in a lot of settings have talked about how they want to build this team now around Anthony Edwards that every move they make now is geared towards him and you know some sort of his timeline his skill set what he brings to the table and he talked a lot about how he just wants to win you know the money is obviously nice his contract will pay him anywhere between 217 and 260 million dollars unfathomable amounts especially when you consider where this league, you know, where this league has come from in, in the you know number of years and decades over that time. But um, as you think about how they're building this roster, if they keep talking about wanting to build around Ant, here's a point I want to make. If you're talking about building around Ant, then start building around Ant. I don't think the roster as constructed right now is very well built around Anthony Edwards. It's not necessarily suited to his timeline. It does not have the pieces in it that would make him grow his game, in my estimation. Uh, if you want to support Anthony Edwards in his uh, in his ascent, um, put some more really good shooters around him. Find some more uh, find some more wings that can really shoot. Find a point. Find your point guard of the future. Uh, I think Mike Connolly is a nice stopgap, but. You, you don't really know what your plan at point guard is beyond this season. Um, don't have $100 million almost tied up in two centers starting in the 2024-25 season when Ant's extension kicks in. They've got $96 million tied up in Carl Anthony Towns and 
Rudy Gobert starting in 2024-25. Add in Naz Reed, who they just re-signed in free agency. That's $110 million worth of ostensibly centers. I know that uh, I know that Cat is being asked to play power forward. I know that Naz Reed can kind of shift between the two. Gobert is the only real, you know, true all, can only play center in that group. But start building this roster around Anthony Edwards if you are saying you want to build around Anthony Edwards. Now, Ant, for his part, is saying all the right things. Like I said, he wants to win. Um, and I thought one thing was particularly interesting. Towards the end of the news conference, Ant was basically asked about the fan base, how people have embraced him here. And, you know, basically the question was, um, you know, not since Kevin Garnett have people rallied around a Timberwolves player like they are rallying around Ant, which I think is essentially true, um, but could be seen as a slight to guys like, you know, Kevin Love, Carl Anthony Towns, guys who have had good careers here and have, have been all stars who have signed big contracts since KG was here. I liked Ant's answer to this question. Let's play that right now. I think they got faith in all of my, uh, all of my whole team. Uh, we got a great group of guys, man. And, you know, we're going to get better, a lot better this summer. And like I said, they got faith in all of us, not just me. I can't do it by myself. So It was a good, mature, serious answer, and I think that's a step that he needs to take this year. His maturity, his level of ownership over this team, being able to go out and dominate the bad team, setting a tone when the Wolves are playing those way sub-500 teams, not not having the repeat of last season. Those are things that he still needs to do to grow his game. And the Wolves, what they need to do to, do to grow this overall product is put a better team around him. I know they've got good players around him. Build a custom team around Anthony Edwards. I get that that takes time. You can't just snap your fingers. If this team has been built around towns to a degree in the past, and now they're pivoting a little bit to that, Figure out how you are going to make that happen and do it instead of just talking about it. MGM Wine and Spirits is the choice for savings, service, and a great selection of spirits, pre-mixed cocktails, wines, and of course, ice-cold beers and hard seltzers. With over 30 locations throughout the Twin Cities and beyond, there's an MGM near you. Head to MGMWineAndSpirits.com to find a convenient location in your area. Get social. Follow MGM on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest news and trends. Make great moments with MGM Wine and Spirits, your locally owned and operated choice for over 50 years. Save time, save money. Shop MGM. All right, let's bring in Lavelle E. Neal III right now. we got to keep talking. A lot of twins with Lavelle, even though they're on break. They are the hot topic right now. And Lavelle, of course, covered the Twins for a couple of decades and continues to cover them as a columnist now at the Star Tribune. Um, Lavelle, how you doing? I'm doing great. Hope, hope things are well with you. Um, we're, we're good. We're making it through the summer. It's been a fun summer so far. A lot of, a lot of good stuff. Um, and uh, Twins right now, Lavelle, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Royce and I kind of spent 90% of – Monday show talking about them and I'm probably we're probably going to spend 70 or 80 percent of this segment talking about them but I'm going to I'm going to do this a little bit differently than Royce and I because Royce Royce is a little bit more meandering I don't know if you've ever noticed but Royce um Royce's style is a little bit more uh, a little bit more meandering have you ever noticed that about Patrick oh, I mean like the way he writes his columns no I didn't <laughs> notice that at all <laughs> <laughs> and I the thing I appreciate about you is you you your mind maybe works a little bit differently you I, th- I feel like if I can I can tightly focus you a little bit more than I can Royce you. so I'm going to bring in f- five things I've got five things for you on the twins and I want I want to hear I don't even know if I need you to put a percentage on these but I need to know what you think is the likelihood of this happening this kind of gets us into a lot of twins topics so let's start 
with Carlos Correa? What what do you what what's you know he's he's not had a good first half of the season. He's taken the fall for a lot of their offensive woes, and you know as the highest paid player, as one of the veterans, as a guy who's supposed to hit, you know, a guy who you know had a WAR of five last year. You're expecting a lot from him after the big contract he signed. You know that that's fair. What what's your prediction? Where do you think he is in terms of second? You know, post All Star break, do you see a surge? an offensive surge for Carlos Correa, not like MVP surge, just like level he was at last year. Do you see that in him right now? What, where would you put that as a likelihood? Uh, I think there is going to be a little bit of a surge with him uh, during the second half. Um, it's not going to be as strong as it was uh, last September when he really turned it on. Cause I criticized him uh, in August when I think he only hit, uh, he was horrible in August last year. And I, I want to call him criticizing him saying that this is not what the twins paid for. And he he went on to uh, he went on to go bananas uh, the rest in September and finished really strong. So and I think uh, we were the Twins were thinking they were getting that version of Korea uh, when they decided to sign him, uh, give him thirty something million a year. But that person has not shown up yet. And I think because he's pretty much been close to rock bottom this year, that he's going to eventually turn it around and start to produce. I am worried, Mike, about. The fact that he's playing with plantar fasciitis, yeah, um, that is a nagging injury. Uh, it's an overuse injury when your the tendons in the bottom of your foot become inflamed. I've had it. Uh, I had to stay off of my foot for basically a month. Uh, I covered Shannon Stewart when he had it. He lost. He missed fifty games in the season. Um, you can't tell me that it's not his foot's not affecting him somehow. Uh, playing defense or running the bases. So um, that's my one worry with him, but. I still think he's going to get it going. He's realized that he's, he needs to make a change. I think his two-strike approach has improved. He's willing to take singles tops of field just to move the chains. He will take his shots. You know, early minimal count, he'll still take his shots to go deep. But I've noticed that when he gets two strikes, that uh, he's willing to just put the ball in play or just um, go the opposite direction with it. So um, I'm hoping that he uh, could be the guy – can he be the guy who hit 355 in last September? I right. don't know, but maybe he could be the guy who hit 283 in August. Uh, yep. It was July. He was over. He hit like 175 in yep. July. I was that looking was at, like his, I'm looking at the same numbers you are right now. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm hoping he could be more than a 283 guy because I mean, if he if he does that, that's going to make a difference in the Twins lineup. Yeah, it's interesting. Just kind of looking at his splits last year, like I think you were too. Uh, he started out really slow last last April. Kind of the same thing he did this year. Then, but then he really cranked it up in May and June and then slumped a little bit into July, but then August got better and September was really good. So there, he is a little bit streaky. You've seen that even this year, but man, they need him. They just, you know, a lineup with so many, you know, I don't want to say so many holes, but so many guys struggling, so many guys hitting 210, 212, 220. I know batting average is not the end-all be-all, but batting average, like, you know, Batting average impacts your OPS. Like it, it's how much you know. It's, it's part of your on base. It's part of your slugging. Like if you're hitting that low, it's hard to have. It's hard to have a good OPS when you bat two ten. You're just not going to probably. You want to be up in the at least in the two fifty to two eighty range. So you're getting you're you're more consistently a threat. They just don't have yeah. enough of those guys. And then Correa is kind of the symbol for it right now. Well, you know, Mike, you can if you don't want to. I mean, you can placate the. Batting averages overrated people by just say, okay, let's look at OPS. Look at the Twins' OPS. It's, ter- you know, yeah, it's terrible. Up and down. It's awful. There's guys not just under 800, but like under 700. And I have not checked. Have not checked um, Christian Vasquez lately, but it's like 550. That, yeah. So, but 
my argument with Vasquez was at one point uh, his on base percentage was ahead of his slugging percentage, which is hard to do. It is. It's hard to achieve. So that, that's that's where I'm at with this offense. Is that so many guys have, have cratered at once. Uh, you know, I had a conversation with a, uh, another writer in the press box yesterday. You know, does Popkins deserve the blame for this? Yeah. You know, and, and I think you, you have to take a look at it a little bit here to see. I mean, they tried to change the pregame meetings instead of him talking a lot and, and, and offering his uh, suggestions or his data that they should act upon. The players are now talking amongst themselves. Is, now, is that an indictment against Popkins? You know, so um, – but like I was telling the person in the press box yesterday, I'm not a big fan of firing coaches midseason because who are you going to replace them with? You know, um, I think what the Yankees are doing is incredibly risky. Yeah. Because they, they fired their hitting coach and they're bringing in not not just someone from outside, but someone who was just sitting in a booth at the MLB Network. <laughs> Sean Casey, his last yeah. Job to come in and try to resurrect this offense. He's got to learn these hitters. He's got to learn their characteristics. He's got to get a feeling for how their mind works because you got to be part psychologist with some of this. Um, and for someone to come in off the street with that type of responsibility, I just think that's a big ask. I think if like the Twins decide to move on from Popkins, they'd have to probably replace him from someone with from within. Um, we're getting a new hitting coach from outside. To me, I'm I'm gonna be watching this Yankee this Yankees thing very interesting to see how it works out. Yeah, I agree with that. Now the flip side of it is the pitching's been great. Um, you know the 15 runs they gave up on Sunday to Baltimore, notwithstanding. I mean the starting pitching's been the only reason usually that they are. In games, the only reason that they're only a game under 500 now, the only reason that they're still in, you know, you know, only a half game behind Cleveland in this terrible AL Central, um, you know, for a lot of t- for a lot of points this year, they've been number one in starter ERA. I think they're still pretty close right now. Um, what is your percent or just overall sentiment right now, though, on some sort of regression from the starting staff? I, I, I'm willing to say a little regression is probably natural but like how how worried are you that that's that this first half was you know first 90 games is a little bit more mirage and that's going to be tenuous and they could come back to more like middle of the pack in the second half well i think you have to be worried about that actually i'm i'm writing a column this weekend about how the twins may uh waste a great pitching staff this year like they wasted a great offense in 2019 yeah that would have been the year in which they should have really went for it to improve their, their starting pitching to help them make a run at the postseason with that offense. I think with this pitching staff they have, you can't expect them to have a 1.5 ERA as starters, you know, uh, over a month span or whatever, like they I think they just did before this 15-run game. Yeah. And expect that to be duplicated or extended or, like you said, sustained. Um, I actually had a conversation with a Twins official a week ago. Um, I ran into him over at uh, CHS Field, and he mentioned the regression part. He says we don't think we don't know if we can maintain this. Yeah, you know, so it's more imperative for us to figure out what's going on with the offense. Yeah, than ever. So they're worried about it, and you know, if the people who are being paid to make baseball decisions are worried about it, then I think the fans need to be worried about that as well. So yeah, I I would be prepared for some uh, regression, and that to me actually makes the alarm sound louder for them to try to figure out a way to boost the offense or by calling up someone from the Myers, which yeah. they'll likely do, or looking outside, which may be hard to do. 
you see more upside in the progression of the offense than you see in downside in the potential regression from the pitching then? Um, when I worked in Kansas City, the mayor's name was Emmanuel Cleaver. He was a, he was a former uh, minister at a local church. Yeah. His big phrase was, you can't fall down when you're already on the floor. And, <laughs> and so to me, that's where the Twins offense is at right now. It's pretty much rock bottom baseball. Okay. Uh, I know it's probably there's probably like what 25th or whatever in OPS, yeah. whatever. But still, to me, that's awful, especially when you have guys who have track records. Buxton's been an all star. Correa's been an all star. Kepler's hit over 30 homers in the season. Um, Polanco's been injured. That has not helped. Basically, the, the best thing going for them have been Edouard Julian, uh, Alex Kirilov, and when he's healthy, Royce Lewis. It's been the youngsters who look like they're going to be dangerous when they get, get to the dish, you know? So I just think there's going to be a bounce back that they're going to find some uh, consistency at the plate and start uh, put some more crooked numbers up on the board. And it, they only, all they have to do is get the four. I think they're 20 yeah. games over 500 when they score four runs. Yeah. All they have to do is get the four, not five, four. Yeah. Come on. It's, you know, you can I know just it. play the game the right way. If there's a guy on second base, move him over. Uh, if he's if a guy on third with less than two outs, a fly ball is fine. Yeah. You know, just – Put the bat on the ball. Good things happen when you put the bat on the ball. And a lot of times this team has failed to do that. Yeah, I agree with that. And they're, you know, it, that that's the frustrating piece of it. And they are, you know, they're, they're stuck on, I think I, I calculated it now, 36 out of 91 games. So 40% of their games, they've scored two or fewer. And, you know, they've put up some big games where they score 8, 10, 12. So it makes the overall average look better. But if two out of every five times you're not scoring more than two runs, that is a hard way to live it is i mean you can't expect to win two to one one to zero in major league baseball on a consistent basis and i think they were what nine and 15 in one run games or something yeah. like that i i went back and looked at my column because someone said yeah your your season prediction really looks great now lavelle and i was like okay what did i write oh i wrote that they're going to win 91 games <laughs> but i did write that uh, look for this team to play about 51 run games this year because they're going to be well, close. So there you I go. had, I think I I was on to something as far as the pitching staff leading the way. Uh, I just didn't think the offense is going to be this this bad, but uh, I still think there's going to be for a little bit of a rebound. Modest, not robust, but still a rebound all the same. So given all we've talked about right now, give me your give me your take. Uh, what's the percent chance they win the division? Cause the, you know, the analytics still say they're in good shape because I think the schedule gets softer and there's not a lot of confidence in Cleveland or anybody else. But what do you think at this point? Well, according to the baseball playoff rules that a team has to win, be called the division winner and go on to the postseason. Yes. It looks like the twins may back their way into a division title this year, even though I hope they can get over 500. It'd be embarrassing if, a team was in the division with a losing record. That would just be an indictment on you know the central division, not just the American Central, but the National League Central yeah. too. It just the people who long bang the drum about players go to big markets, players go to the coast. You don't see too many you know really expensive players playing in Middle America, um, and that person had a point. Um, I think you're seeing the result of that with the two uh, central divisions, but I still think the the Twins have a better than 50-50 chance of winning the division um, just because they've got something that I think Cleveland pitches fairly well, but I don't think their pitching staff is operating at the level that the Twins are right now. No. 
And even with a little bit of regression, um, I still think they can um, they can still pitch well enough and get enough offense to get it done. But I'm I'm expecting the offense to pick up a little bit. And I'm hoping that Walner or Larner got up here to be part of it. That's the, diff- the difficult conversation the Twins are going to have about where to add a bat. Um, yeah. Because basically, uh, a Twins person yesterday, I was over at the ballpark, said, all three outfield positions. We could put a bat in all three outfield positions. You know, Michael Taylor's been great as a defensive center fielder, but he's batting like Michael Taylor, right around yeah. 210, you know? So they said, if we wanted to put a stick out there, we could go left, right, or center, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, it depends at, at the expense of who. Because, uh, like I said, I want to see Larnick and or Walner up here. That would force Kepler to play center, and everything, all the indications I hear is that he does want to play center, that he's more comfortable in right. Um, and to me, my comeback would be, well, you need to get, you need to start playing like you're more comfortable at the plate, or you're not going to get a chance to play in right. You know, yeah. so um, and they got some issues here, but I, I still think there's enough here for them to win the division. If he doesn't want to play center, he can play DFA. That'd be fine with me. <laughs> there you go. Um, so okay, given that, I think this is. The, I think I think you're onto a, a lot of a lot of good things here so far. But you know, our colleague Patrick Royce on Monday's show said. If they don't turn it around, if this slide continues and they, you know, I, that would assume that they don't then win the division, which is very much there for the taking, that they, you know, finish below 500, which, you know, they are right now. Patrick's assertion is that he's not sure about who goes for sure, but he doesn't think that um, that Rocco survives it. What, what do you think about Rocco Badali's job security if they don't win the division and if they finish below 500 again for a third year in a row? It's going to be interesting. I mean, Jim Suhan wrote a column when he spoke with Joe Paulad yesterday. Yep. And, and he came away thinking that they historically they've been patient, but this may be a case where they may their patience may get tested, and that can lead to some some action here. Um, I'm trying to look at the whole package with Rocco. Um, I think he's a solid manager. I think he's a good manager. Um, I think if you're going to start blaming people, you have to look how this roster was constructed. The signing of Joey, Joey Gallo, uh, the willingness to stick with Kepler when there was trade interest in Kepler last year, and they could have moved him and maybe got a little bit more in return than they would now. Um, and maybe some other ways uh, that they've um, filled out this this lineup. So I think this would be on the front office a little bit, as to, uh, too, as in, dis, uh, in addition to Rocco. The one thing that Rocco has driven, driven me up the wall uh, about this year is how he's so quick to start pitching for guys once a, a different arm pitcher comes into games. Yeah. As soon as the team uh, opponents try to turn over that lineup, Rocco's pitching, and the Twins pitch hitters have been awful, yes. awful this year. And then the one game that drove me up the wall was the one where I can't remember who it was, but they started an opener. And oh, yeah. once the Twins found out, they, it forced them to redo their lineup, but they started a bunch of guys for the opener. And then as soon as the opener left, they immediately brought in pinch hitters like in the third inning. Yeah. I'm like, no, that's overmanaging to me. That's a little bit overmanaging. Is that a fireball offense? No. To me, you have to have some other issues going on as well uh, to to pull the trap door open from under him. Um, but like I said, if the Polites start looking at people to be held accountable for the season, I don't know how you can't look at how this roster was constructed uh, in addition to what you may have, what problems you may have with Rocco. Well, that was my last question. Like, aside from Rocco, where do you think the job security would be for for Derek Falvey and Thad Levine if things go poorly the second half? Just 
this triangle of authority, uh-huh. uh, that and Derek and Rocco, they did have the 2019 Bomber Squad that won the division. Yeah, they did win the division in 2020. It wasn't that long ago. Um, we saw the disaster the last couple of years with the bullpen uh, and injuries, uh, which haven't stopped. Their inability to find the right trainer or to find a way to stop these soft tissue, right. tissue injuries is a little concerning as well. But they've done a lot of good things. They built out the analytics department. They built out the baseball operations department in general. Um, I think they've done a lot of good things here. But, you know, the timing may be against all of them because the Minnesota sports fan is just so beat up over lack of success. Yeah. Um, they're so beat up over the first round playoff losses. Um, so beat up over the fact that, you know, other than the links, the last, you know, pro sports title here was 91. You know, that maybe uh, being patient isn't the, isn't the virtue that it usually is in this case. So I'm not comprehensive role, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if they're a hot seat, if there's a, different, uh, a legitimate hot seat under two or three butts going into 2024. Man, you weren't kidding about pinch hitters too. 17 for 97 this year. Yeah, it, it's been awesome. 175 batting average, 517 OPS. That's not getting it done. No, it's not at all. And if there was, if there was still no DH in the National League, I would argue that National League pitchers are probably doing better than Twins pitchers. <laughs> they might be. <laughs> well. So. Let's move on from the Twins for a little bit. You are uh, you're writing, I believe, about Aurora uh, later this week. Joining our uh, our not-so-illustrious crew of Minnesota teams that excel in the regular season, but two straight years now, undefeated regular seasons have led to playoff defeats. Last year, at least it was in the championship game. This year, quarterfinals, right? Yes. You know, this is supposed to be different. This is supposed to be the team that's going to come in and show everybody the way. This is how you have a sports franchise in the state of Minnesota become successful and uh, figure out ways to win the championship. The the Aurora is supposed to be an exception to all this losing we have in the state of Minnesota. And all they've done now is just join the Wolves, the Wild, the the Vikings, and the Twins, and teams that get in the postseason and just get waxed. Um, They outscored people by a ton during the regular season. Yeah. The warning sign should have been in the first playoff game when they only won one to nothing against right. a team that they beat seven to nothing earlier in the season, and then they get clipped in the next game, one to nothing. So, the league has caught on to the, the Aurora. The Aurora <laughs> has joined the rest of the men's, the other men's professional men's sports teams here, in their lack of um, playoff success, and they all now all they all they're doing now is contributing to the sports playoff drought that has gone on in this town. Since the Twins reached the uh, the ALCS in 2002, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was then. It was the Twins in 2002, and then the Wild made it to the conference finals the year after that. And the Wolves made it to the conference finals after that. Vikings that have played it. in a few NFC title games, but nobody's even been in a championship series in those four sports since no. the Twins in '91. No. It's amazing. And I thought the world were going to be different. They came in, they were so successful, successful year one. I figured year two, they come in, bring back some of the same players, play the high pressure style that the coach likes to play, and just run over the league. And it's not been that easy. So Maybe next year. Uh, That's what we always say. Maybe next oh, year. Oh, God, yes. Oh, that phrase. Maybe next year. Hey, before I let you go, you were over at the uh, – I kept seeing like media promotions about this. I didn't make it over there. You were over at the the uh, the wild 
um, crazy game of hockey on Saturday. What, what was that all about? What was that like? It was a charity event in which uh, they brought back uh, a lot of wild alumni to mix in with a few current wild players and like local sports uh, stars uh, to have like this celebrity hockey game to raise money for charity. It's called the crazy game of hockey. And it was, it was, it was actually entertaining. Uh, tree and rink was full. The, the stands were full and fans stood around the rink. So it was kind of SRO. And it was a good show. Uh, Wes Walls popped on the ice and tried to play like he was still in his prime. And uh, Joe Maurer showed some excellent stick handling. He, he had the puck inside the blue line and two guys converged on him. And he turned into Patrick Kane and kind of skated through him to, to deliver a pass on the toward the net. You know, it's like Maurer cannot do anything wrong. Right. Um, um, who else was there? Uh, some local musicians, some OAR guys from the group OAR. Um, right. A couple of kids were out there. Uh, a couple of radio people, Paul Fletcher from uh, Cities 97 and uh, Zach Howerson from 100.3. Sight to behold. The one I still, I, the one person that was there that I didn't understand why. Oh, plus Natalie Darwitz played, Hillary Knight from the USA, Hawkins okay. played. Um, but I'm standing here looking at this guy, and he's like humongous. I'm like, he's in the locker room going, who in the hell is this tall guy? And so then he walks out, and he's on skates. He's got a uniform on. It says Ostertag. It's Greg Ostertag playing in this event. The former seven-footer for Kansas. Never played for the Wolves. What's he doing here? I, I was trying to get to the bottom of that, but then Maurer showed up, so I had to kind of divert my attention. Okay. But I was, like, I was like, Greg, do you live in Minnesota? He's like, no. I live in a small town just outside Dallas, Texas. Okay. So my, I was about to ask follow-up questions, but then my subject showed up, so I had to okay. kind of All right. call an audible. But, yeah, Greg Ostertag was in skates, skating uh, in, in a charity hockey game. It was a sight to behold. Mark Parrish played. You know, he, he told me before the game, I'm just going to park in front of the net and tip pucks, which he tried to do. You know, um, it, was, uh, it, was, it was entertaining. It was a fun time. Cool. Well, it sounds like it was for a good cause as well. I would love to see Ostertag on skates, so maybe I'll go check it out next time if they do it again. Um, you should always check out Lavelle Enil III's work in the Star Tribune at startribune.com. Um, Lavelle, appreciate it. As always, we'll talk again soon. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Good stuff from Lavelle. As always, thought it was interesting that he seems to put a little bit more of the onus on the team assembled by Derek Falvey and Thad Levine than he does Rocco Baldelli. I get that to a degree. I just I'm curious how this how this season plays out. They're they're at a point now where if they miss the postseason in this really weak division, that would be three years in a row, presumably below 500, not winning the division. Where would the patience be with uh, with with ownership, and where ultimately would those decisions be made on who takes the fall? We'll see. It's going to be an interesting post All Star break. That All Star game, by the way, is tonight. Um, if you care to watch that, it's the slowest week in sports, but that should be something for you to uh, to get into this evening. Let's finish with the cooler. Huge news out of uh, New York. The New York Times is disbanding its sports department. New York Times bought The Athletic a while back and has been kind of, I think it's been like 18 months or so, has been kind of running dueling sports departments since then, you know, with The Athletic covering 
all of the things it covers and the, and it's still having its uh, you know the the regular staff of sports writers they are shifting all of those sports writers now to different roles at the times and will focus solely on the coverage it has from the athletics writers in its pages so that is quite the uh, the seismic shift over there i mean obviously new york times has won pulitzers in sports maybe not known as much for its sports desk as it is for other reporting but they have had some amazing writers over the years covering you know all of the teams they're covering national and international news so that is an interesting development in the evolution of sports writing just thought i should make note of that here in this space that will do it for me here today randy johnson expect me to expected to join me on wednesday show to talk a little bit of go for football also to talk about northwestern football which just fired uh, Pat Fitzgerald, their head coach, caught up in a hazing, um, all sorts of hazing allegations, and what he knew, what he didn't know. That will be that's been quite the story, and I want to uh, I want to pick uh, Randy's brain about that story as well. So look for that on uh, on Wednesday show. Until then, um, enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. I'm Michael Rand. Back at it again tomorrow.